Welcome to My Ed Expert, specializing in what's possible in education. By merging research, practice, and passion, we provide insights from top educational thought leaders for right now implementation. Now, here's your host, author Susie Pepper Rollins. So glad you joined us today. We're going to be talking about a really interesting thing. What are employers looking for today? So when our students graduate, what kinds of things are potential employers going to look for? What traits, what attributes do you want, do they want our kids to have? And boy, has it changed because the reason for this session is the title, Henry Ford's not hiring anymore. 1914, the Model T factory, Henry Ford paid a tremendous wage at the time. $5 a day, which is today $120 a day. He is rightfully credited for creating the middle class. He understood that if you pay someone a good wage, they can contribute to the community, buy cars, buy homes, and all that. The trait he was looking for most, he's looking for workers who could do a repetitive, specialized task all day long. In other words, he wasn't looking for independent thinkers, problem solvers, leadership abilities. He was looking for someone who could put that part on the car all day long for eight hours a day. And he paid very well to do that. Well, boy, have things changed. That is not what companies are looking for today. And as an educator, this is one piece that I need to know about. Uh, because obviously I want to uh, facilitate these kinds of traits in my students. So let's talk about this a little bit because, boy, is it interesting. National Association of Colleges and Employers Job Outlook 2014. They're looking for leadership skills, ability to work well in a team. That was number one, working well in a team and leadership skills. Number two, problem solving, work ethic, and written communication. So they're looking for problem solvers, work ethic, leaders, and ability to work in a team. 2015, there was a study by Bloomberg that was really fascinating. These were students coming out of business schools. So this is out there a little bit from our kids, but interesting to note. Guess what they're looking for? Kind of the same thing. Creative problem solvers, strategic thinkers, leaders, communicators, And oh, by the way, how are you at working in a team? And can you think analytically? Now, what about students going straight from high school to work? You're going to see some of the same patterns. Their number one thing, number one thing they're looking for in their applicants, this was the 90% answer, be an effective team member. They're also looking for pride in one's work and being a problem solver. Now, of course, they also want students who are proficient in reading, writing, math, but it was to read instruments, gauges, technical manuals. So they're looking for decision, good decision makers, problem solvers, effective team leaders, pride in one's work. So this is kind of interesting when we look at the difference in what Henry Ford was looking at and what employers are looking for today, whether they're coming right out of a high school or if they're coming out of a business school and master's in business. Now, this I thought was kind of interesting, and this is from the Association of American Colleges and Universities in 2015. Applicants seemed to think they were better at working in teams than the employers thought. Employers saw this as a weakness. Uh, that, that their applicants they were getting in, their new employees were not as, as strong as a team leader as they thought. So that was kind of interesting. There was a perception gap. Applicants also thought they were more proficient in communication skills than the employers thought. There was a big gap on that one. 60, 62% of applicants, uh, said that they were really good in communication. But guess what? Only 28% of employers, uh, saw that view. 
so that was a, kind of an interesting perception gap, I thought. So what they're looking for today are really leaders, problem solvers, effective team members, work ethic. And of course, we're teaching our standards. We're meeting our pacing guys, worried about test scores. But here's the great news. The same kinds of things that we can embed into our learning practices, our lessons, our learning experiences we make that'll build our students and build scores and all those great kind of things, guess what? They also will help employers. So that's the really good silver lining we're going to talk about today. The student-centered active learning environment in which we hand over to kids the richest portion of the learning so that we can help them become leaders, help them become problem solvers help them become independent thinkers, help them become innovators, help them develop work ethic, help them become better communicators, all those things we talked about. Those are landmark kinds of things of that student-centered, student-driven learning environment. And oh, by the way, achievement scores are also likely to increase when we have an instructional framework that looks like that. So how do we get there? What are some things we could do? Oh, and by the way, guys, I put a PowerPoint up for this. So you don't, if you want some of that, those studies and everything, short PowerPoint, go to my expert, grab the PowerPoint and you can have it, use it however you want to use it. Okay. So big thing to talk about. Number one, to get there, we have got to rethink the ratio of student teacher talk in the classrooms. And that means that we have to step back and reflect and examine our instructional frameworks. Here's some pretty shocking information. 70 to 80% of the time in most kids' days is sit, spent sitting and listening. That's from John Hattie. 70 to 80% of a kid's day is spent trying to follow someone talking. And, of course, we don't learn that way. We can really only listen to someone for a real short period of time, maybe 10 to 15 minutes in high school, maybe 19 minutes as an adult. So we can't just sit and take information in like that. Something I put in the second book, I ran across this research and I thought, boy, does that, that feel right to me? As a teacher, when I'm feeling pressure that I got to get results, I got to get these scars up, I got to push hard. We tend to push harder. It's an instinct and it's like, kids, sit there and listen to me. Just listen, you know? Well, unfortunately, I mean, we know that that is not how kids learn the best. So we want our learners to be the most active member of the learning community in our classroom, not us, right? So let's talk a little bit more about talk. Let's talk about talk. Okay, English language arts teachers, cover your ears or put this on pause or go outside and scream. I don't know. Yours was the number one area, according to research of talk. 83.4% of the classroom in an English language arts classroom is a teacher talking. That's according. And you get the PowerPoint. That's a study from 2014. Now, you, it's not a new problem. Not a new problem. I went back and found a study from 1969 that said English language arts teachers talk three times more than their students. Then I went back all the way to 1912 study, a 1912 study. And it said that 64% of the time was devoted to teacher talk. So are we talking more? Because we got a study from 2014 saying 83% of the class time is spent with the teacher talking. Back in 1912, we're saying 64%. Well, that's kind of interesting to think about. But the reality is, is we are using too much of the talk time. Now let's dissect this. Let's say that Hattie's research is right 70 to 80% of the time, or you can take some of this other research that's even a little bit higher. 
So let that leaves 20% of the talking to our kids. But step back a minute. We have 28 students in the room. So we've got to take apart that 20% of the leftover time and divide it by 28 kids. There's so little time for them to talk and process and, and, and share that it really brings into question our entire instructional framework. So we've really got to look at the talk. Now, I'm going to do, this is my, this is my confession. Here we go. My name is Susie and I talk the whole time. My first year of teaching, oh my gosh, I need to write letters of apologies. I went home every night. I worked myself to death that first year. I went home and created presentations. I read, studied, looked at research, annotated, made notes, vetted resources, found pictures, summarized. I created, I spent my whole night making presentations. Then I would go back in my classroom and I would push these out. What did that leave to my students? They just copied my work. They copied my notes. Then on Friday for test day, they would repeat it back. Now, sometimes I'd get tricky and I'd switch some wording up on the test. And so they couldn't make a hundred. So I could get, you know, I sort of my pretend thing of rigor now. So I seriously and feel so badly about that first year because that's what I was doing. So my, I know my talk time was higher than 80%. It was probably 95%. I dared my kids to say anything. I mean, I, it was really a, a rough situation that first year for my kids. I'm so sorry. There was an interesting study by Yair. His name is spelled Y-A-I-R. It put little wristbands on students and they, they went through the day and the alarm would go off and they would note in their journals what they were doing and it tracks student engagement. Interesting study, but not a surprise when we think about it. The lowest level of engagement for students is when, when we are talking. And when I'm in classrooms doing walks, I can see that firsthand because when we're talking, it's very hard to gauge, are kids getting it? Are they listening? Are they hanging in there? I don't know. The flip side, the highest level of engagement is when students are working in groups or labs. That was like 73% engagement. Active learning is where it's at. And when you look at test scores, it's also where it's at. There was a Purdue study in science that took the same the same standard taught in a, one classroom traditional way, which was really a good lesson, by the way, good traditional solid lesson. The other classroom did an active learning experience with the kids and were hands-on. Big difference in the test scores. The active learning group, 77%, the traditional 57%. That was in science. One of the most shocking things to think about, I mean, a shocking, that's an overstatement, stunning. In the opening minutes of class, the first 10 minutes of class are golden. Even in college, students can remember 70% of the first 10 minutes of class. That's our attention span, right? About 10 minutes. Then it drops to 20%. So we can only listen for a real short period of time. So we got to break it up, you know, and, and have breaks for kids so that they can listen better even when we are doing our lesson time. One thing I thought was kind of, kind of, boy, it was a little bit sad for me when I was reading this study is it really tends to hit boys a little harder. Did you know that boys have about 90% of office referrals, higher failure rates, higher dropout rates? They, they tend to have a tougher time just sitting and trying to listen to someone talk. They literally fall asleep on us. And then they start tapping their pencils, bugging the kid in front of them, trying to stay awake. It's really harder on boys. Now, 
our female students have a lot of trouble with it too, but we tend to kind of stay upright at least and pretend like we're listening. So just kind of a, kind of an extra thing on that about boys. So what do we do about it? Okay. What do we do about it? We know that employers are looking for problem solvers, thinkers. We know that active learning can help us get there. One of the first steps is to step back and think, what do I need to teach explicitly? What do I need my content knowledge, my college degree for? And then what can I leave for my students to get on their own, to explore on their own, right? So I want to step back and think, okay, it's it would be easy for me to just tell them all this, put it in a PowerPoint, explain it. But what I've done in that way is deprived my students of discovery, of their aha moments, of their opportunity to read and make notes, of their opportunity to vet sources, of their opportunity to decide what to include and what to leave out and to find pictures, all the things that I was doing at home for them. So we want to step back and say, what do I need to teach and what can they get on their own? What background knowledge do I need to provide to give them some curiosity, to instill curiosity, to give them something to connect, some connections? because they need that background information. So I do need to teach some things, but what do I need to teach and how do I need to set up this lesson where they can discover it? That's going to vary. How much that's going to vary, right? From the, from the content to the subject. We know that students need some prior knowledge to even be curious. We know that some prior knowledge and background knowledge helps their reading comprehension. So how much background knowledge do I need to give them? We cannot continue to be the most active person in the classroom. We cannot succumb, which is what I was doing. I had a conveyor belt model my first couple of years of teaching. And when students sat there passively and repeated information back to me, and then I, I had to make ch- some serious changes and, and I'm, I was a better teacher for it. I put a picture on the PowerPoint of sort of my 101 lesson where we, we do a success starter first. We have a short mini lesson. Then we go into our work period. So you're welcome to grab that. Uh, and that may, that visual may help you a little bit. Okay, here's the here's the thought-provoking part, or it is for me. What's keeping us back? What's holding us back from this active model? I can absolutely tell you the number one thing that was keeping me, holding me back, was a worry about control. I had nightmares about losing control of my classroom, that students were going to be unmanageable, that things were going to be chaotic, that things were going to get crazy, that an administrator would come and say, come in and say, what are you doing? So understand that one of the biggest myths of the active student-centered classroom is that it is very structured. We have really good structures with them. It's not a willy-nilly loss of control, the active classroom. We're just going to put more on them. These lessons may even take longer to make, well, it depends on what you're doing, but the, it's a different type of lesson. I'm strategically letting go of this part here so that you can explore rather than me just telling you everything, right? So control is one thing that might be holding us back. I know that that was mine. Another might be pacing guides. Let's just be honest about it. These pacing guides, we're so worried about racing through the curriculum. I got to get to the Civil War by November, you know, racing through. And then we we also want to race through so we have time to review before the test because truthfully, the kids never got it because we never did these active kind of practices. There's the irony, right? The students aren't remembering things because we're not giving them these experiences where they can really immerse themselves in this content. 
So are we feeling this need to race? Is that one of the things that getting that that's holding us back? So is it pacing guides? Is or you know what? A third one might be just not knowing that there's a better way to do things. That was that was part of my thing too, you know. I was sitting there doing round robin reading because I didn't know a better way out there, right? So let's think about what's keeping us from making this step into that student-centered classroom that we know will work work so well for our kids. So to kind of wrap up, we're in a different world. We don't know what jobs are going to be out there, but we do because things change so fast. But we know that the common thread is employers are looking for thinkers, independents, independent thought, leaders, communication skills, those kinds of things. And guess what? Those are the thing, same things that are developed in the active classroom. So we're going to be doing two great things for our kids. So let's step back and sort of closing, look at our instructional frameworks. If we're still doing bell ringers, oh my gosh, let's drop that. If we're still doing that do now kind of thing, we know the opening minutes is when they're going to remember 70% of what's taught. So let's really maximize that time. If we're still lecturing, having kids copy, that's not working for them, not working for us. We know we can just teach a few minutes, maybe in elementary age plus one and stop and let them do high schools. Not that much bigger. I use 15 minutes, which is from Eric Jensen, but truthfully, John Hattie and others have it like at 11. So really high school kids can't sit there much longer. It's a myth, by the way, that high school kids don't yearn for the active classroom. They like active learning probably better than anybody. So we want to think about those kinds of things, what we're going to teach, what we're going to leave for them. I'll leave with a story here today, guys. I was asked to visit a building one day, and I was invited to give the school a general impression. They defined their situation as being lack of student engagement. So it was a big school. So I spent a whole whole day there going in classroom after classroom. And I realized, yes, it's engagement, but it's because of the way the lessons have been crafted. Students were doing a lot of copying and those kinds of things, sitting and listening. And we know one of the most important elements of authentic engagement is the value of the task we've created. The learners know that, hey, this this doesn't matter what we're doing. And so they sink into compliance. We're letting kids off the hook, letting them just sit there. They need to be the ones up moving. They need to be the ones doing the reading. They need to be the ones taking the notes. They need to be the one figuring this stuff out, not us. And this building was one in which students were basically in that conveyor belt model where they'd sit in a class, copy some stuff, listen compliantly, get up and move to the next class, copy some more stuff, and move to the next class. It was honestly, that's about the opposite of how we really learn, right? So grab the PowerPoint if you'd like it. Uh, kind of an interesting topic about what employers are looking for. And the good news is if we're teaching, really have that model of the students in our classroom, we are teaching leadership. We are facilitating independent thought and those kinds of things. So glad you joined us. Never, ever, ever want to close the podcast without thanking you for the fabulous work that you do. Teachers are the most important thing in the whole world. Thank you for opening doors for your kids every day, for bringing possibilities to your students every day. Please listen every week. We release a new podcast every Wednesday morning with the thought leader in education. Thanks so much, guys. Bye-bye. We are so glad you joined us on this episode of My Ed Expert. For more resources on the ever-evolving realm of education, head on over to myedexpert.com and get inspired by all of our authors' work through downloads, strategies, and best practices. While you're there, hop on to get updates right to your inbox because you don't want to miss a thing right here on My Ed Expert.